Welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And we're coming to you today with an extremely special mid-season bonus episode of the pod. It is one that we have been sitting on for a couple of weeks because we wanted it to be extra special, extra exciting, and I really don't think it's going to disappoint. Uh, extra special and extra exciting for both you and us. Um, yes. This was, we say it every time, an absolute blast. Yeah, if you didn't, if you like pressed play on today's episode without I like looking at the title of the episode, um, today we have the distinct pleasure of bringing to you an interview with the one and only John Turtletaub. And... I, for one, like this, this made my 2023. I know 2023 is still very early. It's still very young, but I feel like it's going to be hard to top this. Yeah. I, I, I don't see how we ever will. Yes. Well, maybe we will. Uh, but uh, that's, that's a story for the end of the episode. <laughs> uh, so if you have thoughts about this episode, uh, want to react with us about uh, your love for John Turtletop? go ahead and find us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We are also available for your listening ears on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. Please also check out our website, nthuntpodcast.com, where we have information about our book, our tour, more podcast information, anything you could want to know about us, it is there. Speaking of our book, go ahead and take the opportunity now to head on over to TuckerDSPress.com to order our book entitled National Treasure Hunt, One Step Short of Crazy. Okay, now that we have all of that out of the way, which is all very important and very lovely, I just want to reminisce with you real quick, Em, about how we first met John Turtletop at the premiere of Edge of History in Hollywood, and we were so nervous to talk to him. Do you remember we're standing there, we're watching him come down, we're like, we gotta get him, we gotta get him, and we pull his PR person and we're like, we'd really like to talk to Mr. Turtletop, please, and we, this was, he was one of the first people on the carpet, so we didn't know what to expect yeah. yet. We, we didn't have much practice. <laughs> Not at all, and he comes over, and this was, he was probably the one I was most nervous for. Not Catherine Zeta-Jones, mm -hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm -hmm. Like, I was so starstruck, and he was so nice. And I'm, I'm hoping that everyone here has heard his little tidbit, his mini interview with us. We we shared it on socials. We put it into a live on the red carpet bonus episode for you all. But I don't know. We got really good vibes from him. And afterwards, we're like, I wonder if he'd be interested in coming on the pod, or was he just being super nice because it was like a big night, you know? Turns out he was interested in coming on the pod. <laughs> yes. And he was even more delightful joining us on, on this episode than even on the carpet, if you could imagine. Um, so without further ado, really, our guest, John Turtletob, you know him as the director of National Treasure and National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. And of course, he's also an executive producer of National Treasure Edge of History, which fairly recently wrapped up its first season over on Disney+. Plus. It did, and we say first season because we, we have high high hopes um but <laughs> getting into this episode what what will you get 
from this episode? Well, you're going to learn about John's relationship with Nicolas Cage. You're going to learn his true feelings about National Treasure Edge of History. And, of course, you're going to get some hints about National Treasure 3. It's going to happen, y'all. We have it on good authority. It is. So, I I wanted to keep this short and sweet because we have so much to dive into. As you're about to see in just a second, we, we really dove right into this conversation with John, like, he, we started having a conversation before any formalities or any of our disclaimers or logistics that we typically give our guests before we get going. So we're just going to hop right in. We hope you enjoy this episode uh, as much as we enjoyed recording it. So without further ado, please join us in welcoming John Turtletob to the National Treasure Hunt podcast. The fact that we could go into the bell tower, shoot on those steps, go outside into the tower, stand next to the centennial bell and feel like this is impossible. Yeah. And yet there were other things we couldn't do that seemed so much more benign. And finally we realized the issue wasn't about preserving the antiquities or taking care of stuff. They felt they were pretty secure and fine. They didn't want us to get in the way of people traveling to see these things. And this Mm -hmm. movie crew has ruined their vacation. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Getting letters from families in Iowa who spent their savings on a trip to these places only to be turned away because Nick Cage needs to get his makeup put on or whatever um, was their biggest issue. Um, You know, or safety might come next. The biggest set that we had to build was the actual rotunda at the National Archives, right? Where they keep the documents. Okay. And partially for the same reasons of getting in the way, but we were willing to shoot, you know, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. and things. Mm-hmm. But they were really worried we damaged something and that particularly the lights would mess up not the Declaration of the Constitution, but the massive murals painted on the walls. And they're kept in a nice, dark, perfectly controlled thing. And if it gets hot from lights and really bright, that could be damaged. So we had to recreate that whole space. Um, Fine for me, bad for a Disney budget. (laughs) I believe that. I also have read that the the Siebel set for the second movie was yeah. massive. There's a, a stage at Universal Studios, stage 12, that is like the giant biggie that most productions use to build giant big things. Um, and we had to build, you know, a big chunk, not the entire city of gold, um, but a big piece of it. And it also had to be able to deal with water mm-hmm. and, and flooding and safety and all this crazy stuff so that was our best bet and we had to build it because that isn't real i hate to tell you Darn. actually there as far as we know there's no giant aztec olmec city of gold behind the heads of the mount rushmore statue sculpture but the things we had to build in there were crazy and Here's another reason why it was extra big. Oh, I shouldn't be saying any of this. 
when we weren't completely finished with our script when we were shooting. So we yes, we did know about this. <laughs> it was ridiculous. We didn't really know what we were supposed to be shooting, what, what actually happened. So we had to build extra stuff and make things that we could create from um, and give the production designer guidelines and a lot of freedom Yeah, and say, well, you tell us what a city of gold looks like and build us some caves and, and mostly build us some tunnels to walk in. And then we'll figure out what happens in those tunnels afterwards. And Dominic Watkins, who was the production designer, just went with it and started becoming a, a writer and a storyteller by saying, here's a thing where you can have a fight. And over here, they can mm -hmm. sneak through this thing, but watch their step. And then they come over, that kind of thing. And that's what we did. Um, that's not the cheapest way to make a movie, by the way. I'm not sure you know this. Um, it's much better to just finish your script and then only shoot what you need. But that doesn't always happen. Right. So I'm actually going to jump. I know we're going to go kind of out of order here, but there is no order. There's just fun. There is I like just, that. I like that. Just fun. Should be our new motto. Um, so that is something I think Emily and I have been so curious about is knowing from folks like the Wibberleys and Charles Seegers and Oren Aviv that the script was coming together as the filming was happening for the second movie. As the director, how do you make that work? Like, how do you make sure? Because this isn't just, you know, a sequential, like, simple movie. This is something where clues have to fit together. They have to lead to the next thing. You know, yes, how... How does that work? Well, and as discussed on our podcast by me, oftentimes, the second one is way more complicated than the first one. So, like, it must have been really hard to keep it all together. Yeah. And usually things are more complicated when you don't have the time to uncomplicate them and, and focus them. That often happens. Um, you know, the trick with these films is the balance between exciting action adventure and uh truth right and we we never invented historical facts we only added the i wonder why that's true or what did that come from or how did this happen to it what could happen i, I i'm not saying there's a map on the declaration of independence but if i were we went, okay, but if I were hiding a map, what a great place to hide it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as of kind of when we were making the movie, you couldn't tell me there wasn't one. Because what the first thing we grabbed onto was that thing has been face up for a hundred years, right? Your only interest is in preserving the front. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Now, the truth is there are some things on the back and things mm -hmm. written in pencil on the back, which we discovered while doing this, um, which is awesome, <laughs> right? Yeah. And we kept coming up with really, not coming up with, but, but coming across really phenomenally interesting parts uh, of history. You know, we were sitting in an office and we had put up a bunch of pictures of the Oval Office and there was uh, the one of, of JFK Jr. under his dad's desk while he's working. And we'd all seen it a million times. But we were, I was just looking at it on the wall and saying, wait a minute. 
there's a there's a door there. There's other pictures where it's not empty at the bottom where you could see the kid or the president's legs. There's a little like cabinet door. How come I didn't know that? What is what's the story with that desk? So you research, and the next thing you know, you write in the president's desk. And there's a whole story. There's amazing stuff going on there. So let's take that and then build some history around it. Yeah. Don't invent the desk, but put some details people don't know or invent some details people couldn't know that makes sense. What was so frustrating was in every bad review, they talked about how fake it was and making a bunch of stuff up. And we were criticized for stuff we didn't make up. Like you do your history as much as we did. Do your research. Stop right? thinking you're you're wrong. Um, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So they, they may not have been wrong that they hated it, but at least hated for the right reasons. Um, so it was that kind of stuff. Every trip we took opened us up to more and more interesting mm-hmm. ideas. Um, the main thing we didn't know, and I don't know if there's any. If they're film buffs listening, you better be, or you're weird to listen to this podcast. I'm just <laughs> um, I've never come across, and I don't think any of us, the producers, writers, have ever come across a genre as complicated and difficult as Treasure Hunt. Mm. We thought we knew it. We thought we understood it. Oh, I've seen a million of those. Yeah, no. It, they're, they are very specific. There's a lot of cliches and things that go with them that you're supposed to do and make a plot work. Because most treasure hunts, as you know, is like a straight line. You go to here, you go to there, you go to here. That usually makes for a bad plot. Mm-hmm. Straight lines aren't interesting. And it was the Wibberleys who discovered that what makes the story of a good treasure hunt is changing alliances that as you move forward your twists and turns are from who you can trust who is your partner who is on your side who's not on your side and that handoff of i'm with them now i'm with them now this is my enemy this is now my friend is really what drives the story yes who who knew Um, but if you look back at other movies the biggest problem we had, and I was a big stickler for this, was, again, I wanted the film to be, you know, a very tactile, very tangible American history, right? Not a ghost story, not any of that. Well, guess what? Every single treasure hunt we could think of, the treasure was guarded by a supernatural element. Every time. Yes. I never knew that until we started writing it. How do you get around that? Now, the reason for that is that ending a treasure hunt movie is usually pretty boring. If I does the end, well, what makes it hard to find? Uh, I mean, harder to find than anything before. Um, There's a giant monster guarding it. Yay. Look, the movie's compared a lot to Indiana Jones, maybe not favorably, but it's compared to it. The treasure was guarded by God himself. The treasure right? <laughs> is guarded by Jesus and the Holy Grail, right? And, and a man who's been alive for, you know, 1,200 years. That, that's crazy. 
And in the second one, it's guarded by pagan gods and guy who rips your heart out and stuff. So that's part of the genre. Breaking that, I thought, was not only something really hard, but something we didn't get enough credit for. Mm. Um, because it's it's that's what's new about this. yes can can i just say we give we on our on our podcast give you all a lot of credit for that honestly mm. listening to you talk it's almost like you've listened to our back catalog because there are so many points that you're bringing up that we've we've speculated about saying you know this makes this really unique um this is per- particularly different it does not get credit for certain things this is a huge one of them. And it's one of the reasons I personally like National Treasure so much is I have so much more respect for and can relate to a story when it is based in the real world and not something speculative like the supernatural entities. And so that's how you're able – then you introduce things like the um, the fake-out room before the Templar treasure and you know this idea that people have gotten to this point and found what can be found when it's actually just behind another wall or the tilt platform leading to Cibola. That's more real. Yeah, that's great. And I'm so glad to hear you say that. And it look, uh, I'm not tooting my own horn, but I'm totally tooting my own horn. I <laughs> You know, the things that were like murder to get through yeah. that ultimately pay off. You know, another element that I don't know if it bothers me enough or too much <laughs> that no review, no writing about the movie ever picked up. But Ben Gates, Nick Cage, doesn't touch a gun the entire movie. People didn't notice, which sort of proved, in a way, my point that you don't need it. Yep. And, you know, Jerry Bruckheimer's done a ton of action films and kept saying, what are you doing? It's, it's, it's cooler to have a gun and do all that stuff. But then when I finally said, you know, the key to not having a gun is that it's harder to get out of a problem. You can't just fix it by shooting someone. Ben had to be smarter than. Ben had to know more than because he didn't have his easy way out. And in most movies, by the way, the gun is a, a stupid threat you use that never, you know, oh, oh my God, his gun's to her head. We better surrender now. Um, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So having none of our characters have guns, they had to be better. And they also, to me, had a a purity to them and uh, a genuine love and passion for what they cared about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, that's so interesting because something that we, something that we talk about, this isn't even one of the questions now, this is just, I'm just commenting on this, but something that we talk about a lot is like the ethical decision-making behind mm-hmm. like Ben deciding to steal the declaration of independence or deciding to kidnap the president of the United States and stuff like that. And I feel like a lot of people kind of question the morality of that. But then when you're mentioning the fact that, you know, he, he doesn't use a gun the entire time, that almost like raises (laughs) his morality and like excuses the, you know, this not exactly, but (laughs) no, but it, it, Look, a lot of screen time is devoted to justifying actions, mm-hmm. right? That's that's a, 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 a uh, an obstacle for us, right? Usually, your hero is 
completely morally right and is the one person doing the right thing. Um, ours was very iffy right from the yeah. beginning, right? Is he doing the right thing? And, and only someone with his integrity, would you believe, has, can reason through this and come out on the right side, right? Um, and he follows it up by not keeping the treasure and all that. Yes. You know, and making him a treasure protector, not a treasure hunter. His mission is to save the Declaration of Independence. He doesn't, when told, we can find the treasure if we steal it, he says no. Mm-hmm. He only steals it because he's got to get there before the other guy steals it. Yeah. And he goes right to the authorities and says, someone's going to steal it. Right. So, the, uh, and ultimately, I, there's nothing morally questionable going on. Um, he's doing the right thing for the right reasons. It looks sketchy. It looks like it might be the wrong thing. But then he reads that sentence in the declaration itself saying, you know, sometimes you have to do something that's looked at as wrong to do something you know is right. Absolutely. The problem with that phrase, of course, is it's used by everyone who does something wrong. Um to say, oh, it's right. I believed I was doing the right thing. There's a little problem there. But these people are noble and doing the right thing. Both times. And something I think that that you mentioned also about, um, you know, Ben and his crew using intellect as opposed to kind of strong arming or violence. We loved how you were able to portray that, especially in the heist preparation montage in the first movie, where you show Ben and Riley doing really creative, scientific, technological preparations to maneuver. And that's juxtaposed with Ian and his crew at the Watergate Hotel, just building bombs, right? right. It's like the perfect exactly. comparison of violence and and just strong arming your way in compared to doing something that's intellectually sound that is historically informed whenever possible um and and we just we love that so have to have to point that out while we have you on oh, the line and look, we bring in people and experts who you say okay how would you steal it yeah what's crazy is our first visit to the national archives was in august of 2001 and we saw there was a video about how it's stored and there's a giant safe where the doors closed. And they told us that the, the elevator comes down and they close the door and they said, but we're building a new system and updating it. And they showed us the plans for the new system. It was crazy. Yeah. Like, well, it's going awesome. to this. We pull back into another room so we don't have to get it out and there'll be, you know, all kinds of alarms and stuff to protect it, but it's going to be a new, you know, system because our desire is to keep, the documents say for a long time from damage from heat and light and all that stuff and, mm -hmm. and moisture not that okay three weeks after that visit was 9-11 oh wow and we after that the whole world thinking changed we couldn't get right. any information out of them we weren't allowed in any of those places the whole but before that we had gotten a lot, okay? Um, now, we had to invent a system like their system, but not their system, because that would have not been very, you know, very ethical either, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but this, this is the way they kind of led us, and we talked to a lot of experts in thieving um, on the way it can be done. Mm -hmm. right? 
if you don't want to go shoot a bunch of people and smash stuff. Um, right. And, do, uh, and then, of course, everyone says, that's impossible. That would never happen. You can't do it. Um, it's too simple. Really? You would not believe how simple it would You try and do it and tell us if you think it's still too simple. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, it's a little bit. But it's, again, it's using what is available to you. You know, one little moment I love was when he's carrying the declaration out in the case and they shoot him. Mm -hmm. He uses the bulletproof glass to protect himself. Right. That's not an action. Just an action moment. That's a smart person moment. Right. Yeah. You have to know that and use that and have the guts to do it. Mm -hmm. And he is both of those guys. So I think that's what made him cool. And that's what Nick loved about it. That leads me to my, what I wanted to get a little bit into the actors and their roles here. I mean, what can you tell us about how you worked with Nicolas Cage to prepare for this role of, of Ben Gates? Now, we do know that you knew him from high school, I think. Yes. You know what's funny is when you find out people went to high school together, they assume you liked each other. Okay. That's a good point. <laughs> now, in this True. case, we did. Okay. Oh, good. Oh, okay. We were scared there for a second. We were actually friends, and I went over to his apartment and all this stuff. Nick and I are extremely different people. Okay? Like us. Perfect. <laughs> I am a goody two-shoes who loves the mainstream and wants to be loved and wants to do things, quote-unquote, right. And, you know, I see old movies like Singing in the Rain and think that's the greatest thing that you could possibly do. Nick grew up much more of an artist. He was angrier. He was like, F the world, it's a mess. Um, I don't wanna be like everyone else or loved by the mainstream people. I wanna do my thing my way, right? I didn't get that and he certainly didn't get me. So as we kind of went along, it was like, there was this push pull, yet we both liked each other very much. Mm. It was just hard to totally understand each other. And then within weeks of him leaving high school, suddenly he's starring in movies, doing it his way. And he's dark and he's creative and he's brilliant and he's weird and all that. And I'm in college in the East Coast, like starring in plays that are kind of lame. And, <laughs> and my acting is terrible. And there's Nick on the cover of GQ. And at the same time, I'm loving every bit of it because that's your guy from high school. Yeah. Right. And we'd run into each other. And every time I'd see him, I was like, Nick's kind of awesome. Um, and then we'd disappear. So when we did that, I wasn't sure if Nick liked me. I, I didn't know if he was going to still think I was the dork that I used to be. Um, and he was probably, I think he was thinking, oh, John just doesn't like me. He thinks I'm too weird and all that stuff. Um, but when we talked about this character, uh, we kind of clicked on what it was. Really? And I certainly knew a lot about his career. I've seen him in every movie, basically. Um, don't ask which ones I didn't see. Um, <laughs> I probably eventually did see it. I'm trying to think which ones I haven't seen. Yeah, even Wicker Man. Um, even Wicker Man. You know, you got to. You have to. He taught me an interesting lesson about exactly what makes... Uh, an actor, a really good actor. 
and what the requirements are for being an actor. It, it's taking risks and you take them a hundred percent. You don't take them with fear. You take them with boldness. You know, it's a risk. You have to put yourself on the line. You have to be willing to look vulnerable, look bad, whatever it is. And you have to go a hundred percent. And that's where that authenticity comes from. Mm. That's where you're, you're really creating a clear character and you're, you're giving the movie a flavor and a plot because it's specific. A lot of actors stay in control of themselves at all times. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. But the ones who really commit, one, that gets you in trouble sometimes because you're committing to something that's not working and you take the whole ship down. Right. But when you can commit and really go for it, the audience buys in and he is extraordinary when it comes to doing that. Right? He's not worried about looking bad, right? Maybe he should sometimes, but he's not. And it, it, that's where his, when he's great, that's why he's great. In this role, we, we talk often about how you immediately buy in to Ben Gates and his what could sound like crazy ideas because of this earnestness and the mm -hmm. sincerity that Nick brings to the role. And it's funny because people know Nicolas Cage for these more eccentric characters. And in a weird way, even though Ben Gates is more subdued on the surface, he still has that eccentricity by being You're right on it. You're right on it because I mean, the general thing that where you might like or not like, not like sometimes I used to call it to him a uh, good Nick and bad Nick. Um, <laughs> but the, the parts that have stood out for me is when he gives a, a sort of mainstream, normal, quote unquote, person eccentricities underneath and oddness underneath. And there's all that stuff that pops out at times. And it's what makes a normal character not boring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if you read the script for The Rock, you would say, oh, that's the nerdy scientist, right? And nerdy scientist hooks up with James Bond, and boy, are they a goofy pair, right? That's how 90% of people would have made that movie or acted in that movie, right? What Jerry and Michael Bay and Nick did was make them both awesome, but one is humanly saying this is scary for me but i'm willing to do it mm -hmm. but can you give me a freaking minute that's how he played the nerd which made him heroic and we loved him and he was funny and we identified with him but he really delivered he didn't like spend the movie needing rescuing mm -hmm. right which is how most of these kinds of movies play out and then at the end the nerdy guy really delivers when he does the great thing Right. It, and it, 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 it's true even in, uh, I'm not trying to think of all the movies, Con Air maybe, or, um, you know, when he's just that guy yeah. that has this quirkiness pop out of him, Honeymoon of Vegas, right? You get something better than anyone else could ever do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really can't argue with that for sure. I mean, 
I, I personally can't imagine a single you shouldn't other. Argue with it. It would be rude. It's true. And we don't do that on, on National Treasure Hunt. We are we are not. We're rude just rude to, to each other, not yeah. to our guests. Well, Emily, actually, why don't you ask the next question? Because it's about one of your favorite characters. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the things that when people look at the cast for National Treasure today, they kind of see all of these what really well-known actors right they're they're prevalent in popular culture today but when you were filming at, at least two of the principal cast members right that you had were like fairly Justin and Diane yeah were fairly new so how did working with them compare to working with people like Nick Cage or John Void or Harvey Keitel you know the first part of that is those actors don't think of themselves as less than right they do their work they are great on screen they're they're nailing things and it takes five minutes of them with their confidence on the set for all that to go away mm. right for, but if i'm being totally honest it's a lot scarier saying i didn't think that worked to ed harris than saying it to justin Right. Mm, Justin fair. felt and I felt like we're the same age and we're closer but I also knew Justin wasn't going to beat me up or yell at me right in a way where I knew I had to back down um, Ed Harris was never going to beat me up but he's an intense dude and he, you know like when your actor is upset your job is to back down right you don't give up your movie you find another way to find a way but you you honor their success and you honor their uh, stature. Um, and what's what's great about that is just I think every actor I've worked with, including and even especially the big shots and the Oscar winners, they start every movie trusting you. Uh. Trust is not yours to acquire. It's yours to lose. Mm. And that is a huge gift actors give to their directors if they don't do that it's usually a disaster right because if a director is auditioning instead of leading it's not going to work right the actor is going to be distracted and not trusting and therefore not committing right so the actor i've worked with put themselves in a position to succeed by saying i don't know this guy but i'm going with it the studio likes him he seems to know what he's doing it's all let them go. And then you can lose it by being an idiot or clueless or not working hard enough. Um, so, you know, in some ways, I, I kind of have this expression I use, which is working your, with your heroes is uh, completely intimidating until they're late once. Mm. Mm. And from the day they're late on, they're now someone who you're like, okay, that's just a person and they're, they can mess you up and, uh, okay. And you, you get that tiny bit of disappointment, right. right? And it's not late, like um, five minutes late. It's the four hours late thing. And you're like, okay. Um, and we're all that way. You know, we all end up disappointing each other at some point. But then you connect. I mean, what the 
as a director, you are always watching like it's a play. You're watching the show going on before you and whether the camera is capturing the show you want to capture. Um, and so you can sit there and be in awe and amazed and entertained by people. Mm-hmm. And it's both the way they're presenting the play, but just the quality of their work and how good at it they are. When they're not good, it's agony. You know, you can do any job on a movie as the director. You can just take the paintbrush away and paint the set. You can push the piano away and say, I'm writing the music. You cannot act the part for the actor. So you are at their mercy. Mm-hmm. And that's where your just fingers are crossed. They're going to be great and they're going to be kind. And I got to say, for the most part, with all the stories of difficult actors out there and all that, almost every actor is talented and kind. And that's great. That's really encouraging that's to, to hear. hear. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, y'all picked two really solid ones in Justin and Diane because they've obviously been extremely successful in in the years following. And speaking of sort of new actors, I do want to ask you a question about the series currently out on Disney+. Plus. Phenomenal. For which you are executive producer, one of the executive producers. Um, can I ask you a frank question? Whose idea was it? to create Edge of History? Not mine. Um, <laughs> it, I think there's always talk, what can we do? What, you know, the sequel's not getting made. How come we're not doing the third one? Maybe it's TV. The industry, the whole film industry, just, it's like someone broke the jigsaw puzzle apart and they're trying to figure out how to put it back together again. Mm. And clearly streaming is where we're at right now. Whether that lasts and how long it lasts, nobody knows. You know, I, I personally feel the movie theater, movie business is is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing, you know, remnants appear every now and then, but it's never going back to what it was. I find that awful and heartbreaking and a mistake mm-hmm. um, and not a mistake by the film business, although they did contribute to this. It's a mistake we, the public, have made. We have a habit of choosing convenience over quality. We've always done that. America especially has always done that. Um, And it's brought us a lot of great stuff, but it's caused the death of a lot of great stuff too. Yeah. And we, we did that with the movie business. No one, no one will ever say the experience of watching a movie on TV at home is near as good as watching in the theater, right? It's not even close. But the going to the theater and the having to be in there and I have to drive and the parking and the this person doesn't want to go with me and that's not at the right time and COVID has happened and all that, people just don't have the energy for it anymore. So that's the way that went. So sure, let's look at other things. I, I found out a about the series when I heard the studio that Disney was interested in doing this. Mm. I'm not sure whether it was Jerry's, Jerry Bruckheimer's company that started it, but I don't think it was. I think it was Disney had this idea. Wow. Went to Jerry mm. and said, can we do this? And they got scripts written and figured out the details. Um, you know, I came in late. There wasn't much for me to do, right? I wasn't, 
uh, going to direct it. And they're better directors, I'm sure, uh, for this kind of thing and who are way behind it. And so my my role was sort of like, um, you know, like the Kung Fu master on the hill and you <laughs> come up and I, I say some brilliant sentences, sometimes that rhyme, and then they all <laughs> and do what they got to do. So I read script, I looked at cuts and oh, made cool. suggestions, but I didn't make rules or be bossy at all. Okay. Well, okay. So, so I, the, the films are so beloved. Did you have any fears about the series happening? Of course. And you, it's funny. The honest answer that nobody will ever give you about anything in life, but about this is there's always a part of you that wants it to suck. If you made the movie there's a part of you that wants to feel you're the only one in the world who could ever have done something so great. And now they'll see just how important you are. And it stinks. And you go, see, neener, neener, neener. Um, and then you look around and see all the people involved who you know and care about. And any success in show business is a success for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so that goes away and you find yourself really rooting for the show. Right. So. Okay. That's good. Okay. I, I, I completely believe every word of that. I feel like I could, I would feel the same way. Has any, has any woman hoped that the guy's next girlfriend is prettier than them? True. True. <laughs> yeah. Right? No. Has any guy broken up with a girl and she's with a rich guy now and you're happy for her? Okay. There. Now, eventually, yes, you are. Right. right? And you, but uh, there's always that little part of you mm -hmm. that's going, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, for sure. Totally. So, kind of going along with this, one of the things uh, that I don't know if you remember, but we certainly held on to um, during our chat at the Edge of History premiere oh. on the red carpet, uh, you mentioned that National Treasure 3 will remain fairly distinct from distinct. the series. Yes. Uh, so from a creative perspective, why was this particular decision important to you? I am sure that if the series took off and became Breaking Bad and the world loved it, we'd probably say, you know, it's beneficial to us to suck some of that audience away there. But... The movies are their own thing, right? And they're a little cross-pollinated. You know, Harvey Keitel and Justin were in it and added reality and, and realism and a connection to the franchise, mm -hmm. which is great. But I think the movies need to live in a movie world mm -hmm. and not feel like it's chasing popularity, not feel like it's chasing money. It's chasing awesomeness and you just want to kind of kind of stick with the awesomeness that got you here mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and build on that okay. and I think you know it's nothing really other than that uh, what, whatever plot we find is going to have to be completely distinct from all of it there it would be twisting things to get her into this movie yeah right? Right. bending over to figure that out and to what extent is, is it just like oh 
she makes an appearance, right? And look, she's awesome. Okay, I I, I was really impressed with her. But this is this and that's that. And I think it sort of works better than that. And I think the movie fans want that. Yes. Yeah. I'm. We can confidently tell you that there is a, we have been keeping track. Aubrey has like an Excel spreadsheet um, of like reactions to the series. And there are different ones, but a fairly decent subset are people that are either like, I don't like this because it's not the movie or I'm okay with this, but I still want the movie because like, that is what the people are looking for. You know, when you watch a movie you love, it's, I think part of that is because you feel like you're in that world for that two hours. Mm -hmm. You, you sort of somehow your body thinks you're in it. Mm -hmm. And when you have a real success, you, you know, you want to be the fourth musketeer. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You want to be uh, one of the crew of Ocean's Eleven. Right. <laughs> You're not sitting there thinking, oh, I'd like to watch this movie more. You kind of just have that feeling of I want to be friends with them. or whatever. And so you've got to maintain yeah. that planet that you've created and not extended so much that it's not a world that you feel you identify with yeah okay well speaking of the third movie (laughs) you had to know we were going there um you just got so la right now oh did i you just went okay speaking of the third movie she is that she can do that sometimes she does that sometimes right em (laughs) yeah for sure sometimes not all the time though just sometimes it's when she gets really excited about something correct this whole interview she never did it till that moment Mm, yeah okay you got me this is just the topic that gets me the most excited so y'all created the cliffhanger of the century with page 47 and we we've been told by multiple people that you didn't really have any ideas of what would be on it when you wrote that in um that being said I like the facial expression because it means I think you're going to have an answer to my question. I'm imagining that you have had many hopes or ideas of what could be on page 47. And I'm not expecting you to tell us like what's in the current version of the script, but I'm guessing there are versions of script past that had things as page 47 that maybe are not going to be it anymore. Maybe you can tell us what some of those past ideas were. You know what? Look, it started when you're looking for a great ending and how do we wrap this up and not let it feel like, you know, life is done. Right. And we loved Bruce so much and he was so great. And um, that president character felt connected to us some way. Yeah. And the friendship with him and, and Ben Gates was awesome. I thought. It, it really humanized uh, the president of the United States mm-hmm. uh, in a great way that we don't see much. And um, so there was that connection and it made sense. And that a president would say, yeah, there's something in that book that everyone in the world knows exists, but no one has ever said exists um, that I got to ask you about. Now we're all curious. So that's always a good mm-hmm. scene. Um, I was tempted to start National Treasure 3 with Nick in a lecture hall saying, 
And that's the story of page 47. Now, let's move on. And the audience no! would be oh, like, oh! Oh! But we'd get them. They'd be, oh, that's in, true. they'd be so mad, but in a really so good mad. way. So mad. Oh, my gosh. Um, we had, when we first did it, I knew at least what was on page 47. Um, because we also had to live up to Ben's line, which is, which says, uh, world changing or life altering, uh, sir. Life altering, life altering. Um, so it's got to be life altering. It can't be like you know George Washington wore boxer shorts with hearts on them. Um, <laughs> I mean, so, personally, I feel like that would be life altering for me, but uh, you know, altering. But uh, yeah, there is there is zero chance the audience will be okay if we don't address it in the third movie. Totally. I, it feels to me a little obvious to make it the plot of the third movie. It feels like you didn't do your homework and think much. Mm-hmm. And it's 15 years later. Mm-hmm. 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 So there's that. And we're going to have to walk that line in the next movie with, is it 15 years later or is it just later? And right. we, mm. and you know, how are things going? And so, because it doesn't feel like 15 years. Right. It doesn't. By the way, right now it's 15. No, two, that, that movie came out in 2004. And we're, it's 20 years but at least by the time this comes out from the first yeah. movie. Right, right. Okay. There's a few more things that I, I don't want to yes, rush ask, anything. Ask. I'm the only one who, you better ask me questions that I'm the only one who knows the answer. I want to, but I, I mean, also. What is on page 47? <laughs> I can, I can tell you this. It's not written in English. Ooh, Ooh, that's a good scoop. That's huge. Unless it is written in English. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was well done. That was well done. Well, nice. So, but to the point that you said about, um, you know, is it too on the nose if page 47 kind of immediately spells out what's at stake? We've actually debated ourselves whether it, whether it would make sense to go with, okay, here's the identity of the next treasure which I think is what a lot of people are expecting, or is what's on page 47 the next equivalent to The Secret Lies with Charlotte? You know, like a clue or something so that, more subtle. That leads you somewhere. That is correct. Or does it set uh, reset the world a little bit where you have to just deal with that? Because it may not be a good thing, page 47. Right. So True. as a if it's not a good thing, you may be dealing with it a little bit um, as you go. Uh, so there's that. You know, here's here's one of the tricks as, as movie makers. Right? We're always thinking, what is the audience like? What are they going to want? Our job is to make them happy. So what is it they want? But if we do anything that the audience could have thought of on their own, you don't need us. Mm-hmm. Our job is to be better than the audience. Right. right? Why, why do we have these jobs? When you're sitting at home, you watch a movie and you go, oh, I knew that would happen. That's Not a big satisfying. insult. Yeah. Right? We did it wrong. So the goal is to come up with the thing that all your viewers didn't come up with. Yeah. When they said, here's what it should be. Here's what it should be. We're hoping we've got a better idea. And that's okay. the job. Okay, so I don't know if the Wibberleys told you this, but Emily and I are publishing a book. Phenomenal. And the last chapter is dedicated to all the different, well, yes, of course, 
because it's all about what we think could make sense for incorporation into the third movie, including like some wild ideas and then some more logical ideas. But can I pitch you my favorite idea that I've ever come up with? Yes. With a caveat. My lawyer, my lawyer would say, no, Mm, don't. That's fair. What if if you pitch something and we're sort of on that road already and then Mm. it's in the movie and you and all your listeners think we stole it from you? What if I say right here, right now, so my listeners can hear that I want you to use it and I give you permission? Yeah, we we do not care. (laughs) That's really great. It's clearly not that good an idea. No, for sure. So, okay. My whole thing, we've, we love how you've been able to incorporate different historical time periods into the Mm -hmm. movies and how we're able to look at different parts of the United States. And I think even now with the series, we're seeing other parts of the United States incorporated, other civilizations and types of history, et cetera. So my thought was, okay, we need to go, we need to get west a little bit and different, a different area of the country that we haven't necessarily touched before. And there's always some element of legend slash conspiracy theory, theory, like where are we towing that line in this franchise? So my like equivalent of the mic drop moment of like Mount Rushmore was a cover up. What if the big se- like secret here is that Seward's folly, the purchase of Alaska, wasn't actually a folly you know there was something to be protecting there that was my idea i think that's really clever i think oh. that's very smart oh you. The thank exact you thing that is a national treasure thing yes yeah. and seward has a phenomenally interesting story who he was where he was when lincoln was shot exactly so, um so funny i did okay in high school in history now i know so much stuff it's crazy totally which proves also you know when we pitched this first movie and we're trying to get it made the only thing we heard was history's boring and nothing's more boring than american history and nothing in american history is more boring than the revolutionary war <laughs> there were no movies about it there was no romance boring 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 it's because your teacher was boring and yeah. the book was boring, right? Nick Cage isn't boring. True. Right? An action film isn't boring when, when done well. So it's always how it's done. It's always about execution, right? So all of these things feed into breaking the convention of what everyone thinks is interesting or not and making it interesting because then you're dealing with stuff no one really knows about and now they do. Right? Yeah. The purchase of Alaska at that time, crazy business. Mm-hmm. Right. Although, unless you work in real estate. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> not only is it an investment that never goes bad, but look at all the beachfront. Right. Mm-hmm. Huge coastline. It's obvious. And, and where are you and what are you taking advantage of? Yeah. Both cases, it was Russian and French poverty by their billionaires and their uh, leaders and stuff. So, yeah. Also, if you turn the globe a different direction, it doesn't look like part of America. It really looks like part of Russia. Totally. And obviously Canada. And like, (laughs) what are they thinking? Why didn't the Canadians offer like $10 more? Because they didn't know what was on page 47, John. Think, Didi. 
Da, 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 da. <laughs> Stupid Canadians. <laughs> okay, but speaking, here's another quick question for you. And this is something that Emily and I recently finished a, a deep read of the novelization for the second film, which I, I'm guessing you know that that was made into a novel. No. I knew that. I've never seen it or read it. But I know they do that with a lot of movies. It's a wildly different story. And then we learn from the Wibberleys that it's basically the final filming script, which is quite different from what we see on screen. Um, so one of the big things that we notice in this book that <clears throat> completely destroyed us was the fact that the original page of the book was page 174. And then we asked them, we were like, why was this changed? And we understand they asked you because they didn't know. And you felt that it had something to do with like the historical time period that would be implied by the page number. Page 174 feels like 1950 to me. I so agree with you. That's yeah. what I was predicting. When when we asked them that, I was like, I wonder if it's because of this. And it made me so happy to learn that was the case because to me, a 1900s thing would not be very exciting. Right. Now, I think you could absolutely make a national treasure about 20th century, 1900s stuff, mm -hmm. right? And there are things that I don't want to conceal, but they probably won't end up in the movie that are profoundly 20th century stuff, but it does tie into earlier stuff. Right. And it's stuff we all know. And, you know, anytime you kind of scratch your head and go, hmm, I wonder, I've always wondered why that was as mm. a kid. That's where we come in. Yeah. Yes. And that's the best thing. The, the signs, symbols on the dollar bill, Yes. You know, some that aren't that boring, but why does the Lincoln Memorial look like that where the Washington Monument looks like that, mm -hmm. right? What, what's the point there? Um, and all that stuff. So, by the way, Lincoln Memorial is so gorgeous. Oh, oh it is. It's my favorite. Um, but you're onto stuff, and you two are very smart, and clearly your listeners are smart. So take that. Mm, well. Did I not answer your question, and did I avoid it? No, I mean... I'm not going to let you get off that easy. What I was going to, my last page 47 question, or I guess yeah. National Treasure 3 question in general. Can you, for the record, give us and our National Treasure Hunters one teeny tiny hint, inkling okay. about what we might see in National Treasure 3? A person, a, a time I'll, period, I'll a say place. This much. I'll say this much. I'm going to tell you now, and hopefully this doesn't ruin anything, there's something on the back of page 47. Okay. And I can't even, can even tell you what it is. It's page 48. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that wasn't very nice, was it? I mean, it wasn't the nicest thing. But it's kind of obvious. It is obvious. <laughs> I also hope maybe we get a subtle nod to Charlotte again, just in some fashion, because maybe Charlotte's just so quintessential. Did Ugh. you ever see my movie, The Meg? I have. Did you pay attention? I did, but I'll admit I haven't seen it recently. So it was like when it came out. So first of all, it's amazingly awesome. Okay. So <laughs> at one point they go off in their ship to go fight the shark. Look at the name of the ship. Really? Okay, I'm gonna have to go back and relook at this. So, that's for you. Okay, I love that. 
100%. Um, Emily, Emily, I think you have a follow-up question about National Treasure 3. Yes. You know, we we like to live in a world here at National Treasure Hunt where we um, kind of shoot our shot, can, can you say, even though the characters don't have guns in, in the films. Um, can we be in National Treasure 3? <laughs> The question should be phrased, is there any way you won't be in National Treasure 3? Duh. You've got it, right? I, I don't know. You've I, mean, been I don't us- know. You're the one that would tell us. <laughs> if there's Certainly if there's a scene where there's dead bodies strewn everywhere, we could certainly find a place for you to. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> but um, I, I don't see a reason or a, a way in which the two of you are not in that movie. Oh my gosh, that literally, we will take right? that with us indefinitely. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think yes. I think that is that is obvious, but... I'm not guarantee you any lines. Oh. Uh, Doesn't matter. <laughs> we don't need them. You got it. You're going to be on the set, so you might as well walk on and, and be in there somewhere. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is, this Thank is you, John. incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. We will start wrapping up here because we, we honestly could ask you questions for hours we won't do that we will invite you to come back and join us anytime when you're less busy so that we can continue the conversation um but we do have just a couple of shorter questions left that i think will be shorter emily you'll start then i'll do the speed round then we'll wrap up how's that go okay um why do you think as you know the director that the national treasure movies remain so beloved to this day like what what do you, why do you think they're so often quoted? Like we've noticed in recent, like major moments of American democracy and stuff like that. I, I, I have good and bad answers to that. The simplest answer is people really liked it. Okay. And people tend to quote movies they see more than once. Mm. Mm. And then this is a, apparently is a movie that whenever it's on TV in the middle, people just keep watching. Yep. But you're asking why? Why do they keep watching? Um, there's something a little unexpected in the movie. It it's entertaining. It's meant to engage you and make you laugh, and it's fun. So when you join in, you know what the treasure is and the mystery. It's not that. It's just being in that world is fun. Mm. I think it surprised people, and so they took possession of it. They were not told to go see it by the media. They went and saw it, and they grabbed onto the movie. And I, I think one other reason is, at this point, too, mo- a huge part of the audience was between, you know, 10 and 15 when they first saw it. Yep. And those are always our favorite movies. Mm. They never. You ask most people what their favorite movie is, and they'll ne- mention something from middle school. That's when, that's when we saw National Treasure. It is. School. So I, that's my theory. Okay. Yeah. That makes right. a lot of sense. Okay. Time for our classic National Treasure Hunt speed round. Now, you actually got a taste of this when we were interviewing you at the premiere when we asked you about Patrick's lemons. So this is... This is basically... We're going to give you a couple of like this or that or like flash well, it's answers... More like a- it's more like a firing squad at Wonder Woman and how fast can I get my bracelets up? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they should Got all it. be fun. Hopefully no one's attacking you, you know? So first thing that comes to your mind 
we'll 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 jump in if if you're ready for the speed round. Ready. Okay. If you could play the role of any character in National Treasure, who would you pick? I'm running your speed round right now. Um, I'm playing the role. I'm the actor playing. You are the, the role. actor. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, okay. Uh, um. Uh. I'm gonna say the Ty Burrell's part in in National Treasure Two. I love it. So fun and so funny. And if if I could be Ty Burrell, I'd be really happy. Y'all really Amazing. turned a lot of actors into big names. Talk he was already a thing, and it was we got lucky. We got a turn actors, Helen Mirren and Ed Harris and John Voight. Yeah. Boy, yeah. they really needed that movie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. Okay, what is your favorite quote or scene from the movies? I quote the movie a few times. I I really love Nick's speech to Bruce on the uh, the president in the tunnel at the end and and he's and he talks about strength of character and the president says you know people don't uh talk that way mm -hmm. no no they they say people don't believe that stuff anymore yes they want to mm -hmm. believe it sir because they want to believe it mm. I, I think that defines our country and yep. we it's 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 the prescription for our country what we need mm -hmm. right get people back their confidence at what they believe, what they want to believe are best parts of ourselves and the best parts of our country and live up to the expectation America has for us. And we'll start behaving better because mm. we have something to strive for. Yeah. Well, fun fact, we did a whole podcast episode picking out the 10 most significant quotes of the franchise. And we ranked that quote actually number one. Oh, that's so great. Well, <laughs> that's, that's, I, I think Ted Elliott, um, who wrote that speech. Um, well, and it might have been Terry, I'm not sure, but it was those guys um, working on that scene. And it is very similar to the one from the, in the dressing room in the first movie. Yes. Right. Where she, where she says people don't talk that way anymore. And he says, yeah, but they think that way. That's right. it. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's you know, sometimes the best parts of ourselves are, are 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 cool and are fine. And we're so embarrassed to be that corny and that that uh, earnest. Mm -hmm. Nick earns that. Ben earns that, and it touches people. I think. Yeah. Well, couldn't have said it better. That. All right, back to the speed round. Next question. Speed round. What is what was your favorite filming destination for National Treasure up until this point? Mount Rushmore. Ooh. Nice. Fun. South Dakota is so gorgeous. It is far better than I'd ever been told. Mm. And being, you know, getting a chance to climb up there and see the tunnel that is actually the secret room back behind it and to sit on Jefferson's head. Oh, my God. That's awesome. That was awesome. That is very cool. Speaking of Mount Rushmore, that's a place where it seems like y'all – filmed a lot of scenes that did not make it into the movie correct <laughs> by the time we got to mount rushmore we were like an hour and a half into the movie and the movie couldn't handle another hour and a half yeah right so we cut like 40 straight minutes out of the movie a whole sub thing a little plot that if you just 
take the whole thing out, the movie's much quicker and goes. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you could cut it out means you should cut it out. Mm. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. You told us in Hollywood that Patrick Gates's favorite lemon drink is an Arnold Palmer. What is your favorite lemon drink? I don't like lemon. Oh. That might be so the you most- would have zero lemons in your it's refrigerator. Today, it's all about you know, the lemonade in a restaurant. And lemon, lemon, lemon. I don't want the lemon in my Diet Coke, in my mm. regular Coke, in my water. I don't want the lemon. Hot okay. take. Hot take. All right. What is one word that you would use to describe Agent Sadusky? This is my favorite question because I have feelings about Agent Sadusky. That's creepy. Um, they're not. They're not always positive feelings. They're not positive feelings. <laughs> um, one word. Yeah. What's an ad- word of admiration for someone who is has the style and the courage to be direct? Blunt. Blunt. Well, it's, I guess that it's not a word negative. of admiration. Authentic. Authentic. Okay. All right. That works. Can I ask you an un- like a related follow up? When sure. in the first movie, when um, you know Ben and crew take the declaration to Patrick's house, and we see at the same time the FBI and Ian both figuring out the key and silence clue, meaning the silence Dougal letters. They find this out at the same time. Ben is way ahead of them. Was that portrayal of sort of them figuring out at the same time? Was that just meant to to show that they're sort of you know, the same distance behind Ben as the authority figures and as the villain? Or is there some subliminal messaging there where, like, the FBI is also an antagonist to Ben, just like Ian is? Anyone chasing after your hero is the antagonist. Anyone getting (laughs) in the way of what your hero wants and the people you're rooting for, whatever they want, that's the antagonist, right? Mm -hmm. And the best antagonists are capable Mm. right so the more the more annoying it is because we just want our hero to go do everything great but look why are there always bad nazis in movies because the nazis were uh, a tough capable evil force who 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 didn't stop with "Hmm, maybe we shouldn't do this they were all and justifies any means and they didn't really felt anything about the means either so the more competent your enemy is the more uh, exciting and dramatic and and uh, fun the movie mm-hmm. is right mm-hmm. nothing makes your hero look better than a talent beating a good enemy true right you know yeah. slaughtering you know a bunch of uh, fourth graders <laughs> doesn't exactly make you a phenomenal action hero. <laughs> That's right? fair. And every time you can remind the audience that this ain't going to be that easy, makes the movie better. Yeah. Starting okay. That makes sense. But, it, but they're smart. Yeah. This is the movie. Everybody's smart in these movies. I feel like they all have unique strengths that if you put them all together as one character, they would be literally unstoppable. Right. You know, and then, and they have different styles and different resources and things yeah. like that. So yeah. 
who's going to outsmart ultimately whom. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what's your favorite conspiracy theory in Riley's book? Um, I think it's Bigfoot. Ooh, oh, okay. I right. think we've gotten that one before. A lot yeah. of interesting Bigfoot stuff. Yeah, there's so much you guys don't know about. We want to know it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More conversations for the future. Okay, our last speed round question. We're yeah. told this question is like picking your favorite child. Which is your favorite national treasure or book of secrets? Uh, without question, the first one. Mm. It was a nightmare to make. A nightmare to get made it was brutal but it was a dream of mine and something i put literally everything into so for it to be made and come out and succeed there's just uh, i will always feel really connected to that movie i love that okay so final question for at least this interview um I get to ask this every time because I don't know. I feel very strongly about it. So I'm very honored to be able to ask you, um, what is one message that you have for national treasure fans that are listening in to this conversation today? A message for the future, a message about the movies, a message like I get to be uh, Obi-Wan all of a sudden and, and, and share great knowledge. Um, any I, without question not to put this the right way but smart is awesome and if you're in a room or around people who are diminishing smart those are not the people you want to follow mm. Mm. i love that tied to that pay attention and pay attention to history it's all been said and done before and every answer is in there Oh, John, honestly, we really can't thank you enough for yeah. joining us. Hey, thank I you. Just think the world of you too. So thank you. Thank, thank you. Okay, I mean, you know how I said that the Wibberley's interview was my favorite ever? Dude, it just keeps getting better and better and better. And he was so nice and had so many things to say and was so clearly just like very chill and comfortable with us. And it wasn't in the interview, but he was like walking around making coffee at the beginning <laughs> of our interview. Uh, it was so sweet. And uh, he is just, yeah, he's an amazing person. He really is. Also, big shout out and extra special thanks because we know how busy he is right now. And he spent like an hour and a half with us. Very, very true. Thank you very much for your time, John. Um, I think it's going to be pretty hard to like limit our favorite tidbits from this whole interview but i i don't know a couple come to mind for me what was your favorite moment emily um i feel like it's uh pretty pretty obvious uh you gonna steal mine <laughs> probably um i feel like it is when he kind of told us to ask him like whatever we wanted and uh i shot my shot you learn from the best Mm-hmm. Hamilton, correct. No, me! And <laughs> and asked if we could be uh, in National Treasure 3. And 
as you may have heard, his response was the question you should be asking is why wouldn't you be in National Treasure 3? He then went on to imply that we would already be on the set. So getting us in there should be relatively simple. Um, I, I, loved how puzzled, I loved how puzzled we were when he was saying that too. Like it was a foregone conclusion and we're like, we're is? like, nobody's told us this. Sir. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty epic. What was yours? I mean, if I can't choose that one, um, maybe the fact that he said that my Seward's Folly idea was smart. Like, I put a lot of effort into that idea. And he's like, he's the one. He makes National Treasure happen. Like, he is the, you know, the Wibberleys described to us that the director of the movie is like the head honcho. The, the showrunner of the show is the head honcho. Like, he's the head honcho. He thought my idea was smart. That was cute. I like that. That was, that was very cute. So thank you again to John for joining us. And like Aubrey said before, taking so much of his time to chat with us. Yes. And I don't know, maybe we'll see him again on the pod sometime in the future. But until then, y'all, it is the middle of season six of National Treasure Hunt. We hope you have been enjoying this season. Um, I, I dare say it's been pretty good so far. I'm a little biased, but we have more stuff coming. Not only do we have more podcast episodes, we have our spring 2023 tour coming up very soon. Be sure to register if you would like to join us, learn more on our website, and uh, guess what is coming even sooner than the tour, you guys? Our book, National Treasure Hunt, One Step Short of Crazy, on TuckerDSPress.com. If you would like to find us in the meantime, please go ahead and check us out on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We can't wait to see you for the second half of National Treasure Hunt Season 6. But until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt. (laughs) 